0: Hello and welcome to episode two twenty eight of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox in Los Angeles. How's it going, Nathan?
1: Good, good. Yesterday was the January LSAT. Did you hear anything from anybody? I heard it was easy. Uh
0: yeah. I heard it was easy and you know, some people unsure,
1: but that's pretty normal. One former student texted and guaranteed that it was a minus 7 curve, minus 7 for a 170. <laughs> guaranteed, huh? Oh no, minus 8, minus 8. Yeah. Okay. Hm. Um I uh that that seems pretty far-fetched to me. Yeah.
0: Uh, that has happened before, but wow, they must have felt really good about the test.
1: Yeah, that sounds like good news to me. Uh, that's all I've heard. I I did you hear? I didn't hear any uh, disasters. No. Wow, that's amazing. It's the first time in like uh, six months that there haven't yeah. been any like hysteria, or or at least I didn't. I, I was not made aware of any hysteria on the day before the test.
0: I wonder how much of that has to do with LSAC learning lessons, and how much it has to do with just the, the huge drop in test takers, right? Because I think January was a lot smaller than
1: November. I'd like to think that it's because of my New Year's resolution that I made for them. Oh, yeah, sure. That, that that's the most logical explanation. Yeah. When I resolved that they get their shit together for the new year. Yeah. Maybe they did. Yeah. Yeah, they heard that and they start following
0: us on Instagram, right? Or Twitter or something. I don't know. You
1: sent me that. Yeah, they are following us on something or other <laughs> social media. Well, we'll see what happens.
0: Um <laughs> Cool. Today on the show we have uh, a PSA about LSAC from apparently one of my students. We have our pearls versus turds. We have a plea for reading comprehension help. Someone asks whether they should take time between tests PS clarification cues. Um okay. I guess that's referring to personal statement. Yes. And someone has some questions they want to clarify, yes. I guess, some things about the personal statement. Then we have free law school. Free law school. Hmm, cool. Uh financial aid questions and what
1: is this? I don't know that word. Fagtastic is a word that oh, uh, A. Dot made up, but we have another long ass email from our favorite law school dean, David Fagman, Fagman. from I UC Hastings. Known. Yeah. yeah, I feel like you've made other words up about his name. Oh, Fagmanism.
0: Fagmanism.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's when he writes his. That's when no a Fagmanism is when you present evidence that yeah, is yeah. the exact opposite of what you're <laughs> and the, when you miraculously reach a conclusion that is the exact opposite of your evi- of the evidence then that's a fakemanism. Yeah, yeah, like we're
0: making progress. Look, we went down. <laughs> <laughs> yes, when they bucked the
1: trend of the of the bar passage rates even though their bar passage rate was going down and somehow they managed to buck the trend. Yeah, they didn't go down as much. Yes. Therefore, they were making progress. Correct. Makes
0: yeah. sense. Cool. Well, this will come out on the 20th. And actually, I thought it was the 21st.
1: I must have my days of the week. Yeah, messed today's up. the 14th. So that comes out on the 20th.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. So Monday, the 20th. Um, the registration deadline for the March LSAT is February 11th, so you have a few weeks to make that decision. The February LSAT is on the 22nd, and the March LSAT is on the 30th. You can always email the show at help at Include your selfies if you're so inclined. Leave us a review on iTunes, yada yada. Hey, so I'm looking for an LSAT teacher in the D.C. area who's not planning to go to law school for at least two years. If you think you might be that person and you've followed the podcast ideally for a while and know how Nathan and I approach the test, email jobs at strategyprep.com. By the way, you need to be in the 99th percentile on an official LSAT, not your aspirational LSAT. Does this mean you're retiring, Ben? Yes, I'm
1: done in two weeks. So it's been (laughs) nice knowing you. (laughs) Ben's giving his two-week notice. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And someone needs to take over all the strategy prep classes. And by the time you hear this, you'll have a week. So, chop, chop. I mean, honestly... If you did that, that's basically how the big test prep companies hire. <laughs> that's how they <laughs> hired me. You know, <laughs> like, it was an email. It was definitely I sent in a resume over email. They hired me over the phone, and then I was just all of a sudden teaching LSAT classes in San Francisco. And I had a 99th percentile score, but that was it. I had like no training. I knew nothing. They like sent me some books, and they were like, "Yep, you're our guy. Here you go." Oh wow! Well, right. actually, I'm
0: interested in someone who's going to not go to law school for at least two years, maybe never, because I want to put the time and effort into,
1: you know, getting them up to speed, teaching so, with them, yeah, side exactly. by side a little bit, watching them, giving them feedback, like actual teacher training, not just throw them into a classroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Cool. You're gonna. So it does sound like you're gonna uh, get maybe out of the a little bit out of the. At least I imagine those night classes must be killing you, Ben. There. You know, it's not great to end
0: up getting home around eleven, more often than not. So yeah, that would it would be nice to have some help there. Um, it'd also be nice to make the classes a little bit smaller. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and, and offer more options just given my schedule trying to, uh, yeah, like sometimes people want them on the weekend and sometimes they want them on the weeknights and it's like I can only do it so much. So, yeah, having s- someone else who's intimately familiar with what we do and how we see the test and at the same time around long enough to really get the experience they need to become a better teacher,
1: then yeah, they can play a variety of different roles and,
0: I don't know, help more people. That's how I see it.
1: Cool. I hope our listeners will respond. That's an awesome opportunity. Yeah. Jobs at strategyprep.com. Work with Ben. There you go. Sounds good. Thank you.
0: Yeah, so do
1: you want to read this PSA? Sure. This apparently came from your student, Uh, Jesse.
0: Jesse took
1: the November LSAT. The test started about two hours late. (laughs) Jesse's tablet malfunctioned causing a half hour delay and there were multiple timing issues. She canceled her November LSAT score and mailed in a test center complaint. She then registered for the January LSAT. LSAC waived her January LSAT fee with apologies. Uh, quote from Jesse: This isn't what they want to see happen. They thanked me for letting them know. End quote. So the highlights there are the LSAC letter her take it for free because of her test center experience. That that does happen fairly frequently. If you if something goes down on the day of the test, it's really bad, and you want to complain, they frequently will give you a, at least a free retake. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Take advantage of it. Yeah, and just call them. I mean, they're they're pretty responsive on the phone. Um you might have to call them multiple times in order to get the right person who will actually let you have what you want. <laughs> but uh if you keep calling them, then you'll, you know, things do tend to happen. Yeah. I guess one caveat on that is that I've heard of people making complaints and then having their scores delayed because of the complaint. Hmm. Interesting, like, like they're just looking into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, How long? Were they delayed? Do You know, um, weeks, as
0: I recall. Wow. Yeah, that's significant. Depending on when you're applying. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the PSA, Jesse. Um, pearls versus turds. So far, the scoreboard is seven pearls, twenty-six turds, and thirteen ties. This is where we're going to assess some supposedly good advice out there, and we'll see if it's actually good. This person writes, I apologize if this has already been covered. This popped up on in an LSAT prep group, and I've never heard of it. Someone called it a 3.5, 1.5, 5 method for reading comp. Whoa. I hate it so far. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, wait. We got to click on a link to... Check out this method. This is the memory method for improving LSAT reading comprehension. All right, here it is. Phase one is the 3.5 minutes. So improving retention. Memorize the passage structure. 3.5 minutes. Take a passage. Spend three, four, th- 3.5 minutes reading it. <laughs> okay, that's that's already hell bad. What is this? At the end of each paragraph, summarize the main point of that paragraph into one line. At the end of the passage, look over each paragraph again and make sure you know the main point. Combine these main points into a narrative. Once you know the point of each paragraph, decide on the main point of the passage. Gaining command of the passage will speed you up when doing the questions. Okay, I agree with that last sentence. (laughs) Um, I don't agree with this process. No, no. My two concerns, at least right now, I'm sure there are more, but one is the very specific time limit, 3.5 minutes. Um, some passages are going to be longer, some are going to be shorter. It's going to vary from person to person. The other thing is, I don't like this idea of summarizing each paragraph. I've, I, Whenever I've talked about this in class, I've always said, look, the paragraph breaks on the LSAT are random. Yeah. Sometimes they are good and it like makes sense, and sometimes a paragraph goes on for like what really should be three paragraphs. So this idea that, oh, I can just stop at the end of a paragraph and that's a great place to summarize doesn't make as Mm -mm. much sense to me. It's really when the idea the cluster of sentences maybe it's two sentences maybe it's six sentences and some idea kind of comes to a close and then you can see them transitioning to a new idea maybe someone else's point of view and that could be a new paragraph or it could be within the same paragraph and that's going to be more important to like just kind of pausing and reflecting i think on what has been
1: said so yeah can i i want to give this a little bit of credit um mm. This is meant to be a drill, not to not meant to be like here's how you do it during the time sections. Sure. Yeah. But <laughs> people are gonna take it the wrong way and they're gonna try to do the actual reading comprehension passages like this.
0: Also you gotta practice how you're gonna play. Ultimately. Yeah. I agree. You're gonna,
1: yeah. I agree. I mean yeah, at the end of the passage, look over each paragraph again and make sure you know the main point of each paragraph. Then combine these main points into a narrative. But if you did that, you're going to be you're going to end up with this disjointed. It's not really the way they were. Like you say, Ben, the paragraphs don't make any sense. Like there's no, there is no organization to the paragraphs. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. You can keep going. So the next, uh, so to understand why it's called the three point
0: five one point five five method, actually. The last one isn't five, it's 3.5 again. So apparently the real tip is 3.5, 1.5, 3.5. <laughs> that itself just sounds ludicrous. But anyways, the 1.5 step involves turn over the passage. Don't look at it. Okay, yeah, it's turned over. On a sheet of paper, write down the main point of each paragraph, one line each, and the main point of the passage. our seats test whether you really retained what you read if you don't remember anything at first don't worry and don't look back at the passage just write down what you do remember and resolve to do better next time
1: um you know i just i would take all this and throw it away and just say do more reading comp yeah like practice more reading comp if this if this motivates you to do more reading comp then it's going to be effective but If this, this is like all so convoluted, like, can you imagine people looking at the clock? Like, oh, well, I'm going to, it has to be three and a half minutes, not three minutes, not four minutes, three and a half minutes to read the passage. And then one and a half minutes to check my, I don't know. (laughs) Like, Listen, you should read the passage. I should be able to take the passage away from you. And you should be able to say basically what it's about. Like, here's what they wanted. Here was their goal here. That's it. You don't need to tell me the main point of each paragraph. There is no main point of each paragraph in lots of cases. Yeah. Mm. So, okay. So they've got them reading it, summarizing each paragraph, then turning it over, turning the paper over, and then writing down their summary of each paragraph.
0: Yeah. I mean, the reason I hesitated after reading this is because I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to get you to recall what you've read and I do feel like some students are pretty bad at this like right you say hey read a few sentences and tell me what that's saying and they just go back to regurgitating so I don't like this particular like time constraint and I don't even necessarily know what I think about writing it down like writing these things down but I I do like the idea of people reading and looking up and then being able to tell me what it says. And people are pretty bad at that, so they need to practice it. Not that they need to tell me, but they need to tell themselves, right? They need to be able to look up and say, okay, I get what you're saying. And when you don't get what it's saying, look, reread again or whatever it is you need to do to make it so that you do understand. Because people are not very good at assessing whether they understand. They just act like they do when they don't.
1: So, I guess I'm trying to glean something from this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if the lesson is try harder, practice a lot, try harder. I just don't know that you can. I mean, they're claiming that this method will teach you to do what skilled readers do naturally, which is to consciously think about what you're reading. Hmm. I just don't know what kind of a lawyer you are if you're not able to. Consciously think about what you're reading. I don't, maybe that's the point. Like, fucking yeah. think about it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway. All right. Last step is to do the questions. We're still on phase one, by the way. This is phase one. There's going to be oh, phase shoot. two. And then it, I thought these were the three phases. I see well, what this, you're saying. Yeah, but it looks like... Hmm, I, anyway. There's <laughs> two phases. Here's <laughs> step step three of phase one. This is step 3.5 of phase one.
0: Okay. Um, Turn over the passage. You can look at it again, by the way. That's what it says. If the question involves specific detail, e.g. lines 17 to 21, paragraph 2, the statements of blah, 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 read that section of the passage. This shouldn't take long because you memorized where the details are located. Well, it shouldn't take long because they're telling you what line... To go back to, if you want to reread it. I I don't like this at all. I don't like this. All right, let's get through it. Okay, if there is no specific detail, attempt to answer the question. Uh, If there, (laughs) okay, what if there is specific detail? In either case, if you think one answer is right, use your gut and move on. If you're not sure, refer back to the passage, but be quick about it. If step five doesn't solve it, flag the question, pick an answer, and move on. Oh my God, I don't think you're going to remember step five of part three of phase one. Okay. If you waffle between answer choices, then you are spending most of your time on the hardest questions. This is a time trap. You want to spend your time on questions you can solve. Give each question an honest shot, but if you aren't getting it, cut your losses and move on to the other easier questions. Eventually you will get fast enough to come back to the flagged questions with a fresh mind. Often they're significantly easier a second time through. Okay. I don't like any of this
1: jumping around. Um. Yeah. Phase two. I'm not a fan of flagging questions. Period. I mean, the demon will flag it for you if you miss a question. So I don't think there's any need really to flag. You don't have time to wait, go wait. back. Oh yeah. So I do tell people to I do tell people to flag questions, but that's
0: solely for the purpose of reviewing after the test is over, so they can review those yeah. questions before they look up the right answer. I think we like, differ oh. on that. Oh, you you don't.
1: You just say go. After I'd prefer the they, that they don't. Got wrong. Because Ben, there's 90 practice tests. Yeah, if they got it right for the wrong reason or whatever, then fine. That's they'll they'll the next test that they do, they'll miss another question. They'll miss a question. Eventually, they'll miss a question. If they're not missing the question, then I don't give a shit. Like, I don't. I just don't care. Hmm. Okay.
0: Well, so anyways, in terms of flagging. <laughs>
1: I say they flag it so they can review it when the test is over. Now, I do say, uh, let me that, push back, Ben. You did just yeah. say, you just said earlier that you should practice the way you play. You're not going to be flagging questions on the day of the official test. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's a
0: I don't think it's a big downside to just hit that flag so you know when you're done. Oh, that was one I struggled with. I think that's especially true for people who are scoring higher because I would prefer that they push themselves further if they're, like, not 100% sure about an answer. hmm So, in any case, mm-hmm. what we do agree on is that you're not flagging and going back in the section. No. <laughs> There's not time for no. that. No. Or you're going too fast, like you're going too fast from the beginning. Yeah. To give yourself, quote, time at the end for a review. Yeah. I will say,
1: can I, let me, I'll I'll get again, like trying to give them some credit here for this. Um, I was noticing, I was teaching a reading comp in my class, um, on Saturday here in LA and I was noticing as I was answering the questions that I'm just not a hundred percent sure what the answer is on a couple of them. Mm -hmm. I would say one or two questions per passage. I know the answer has to be one of these two answers. And there's just something, this little tickle that, you know, little thing in my gut that makes me feel weird about one of the answers. Like, nah, something, Uh, something's off there maybe. Mm -hmm. But I know it had to be that one or this other one sure and i'll just end up saying cuz i you know teach without the answers in front of my class and i'll just end up saying like well it's got to be b or d and i just something about b doesn't really i can't i don't know i think i'm going to pick d and move on am i right and i'll just i'll be right like 90% of the time on those 50/50s so mm-hmm. there is like a, a there's something like you're on the razor's edge kind of you know you're just like sort of skating across some of these questions where you, you know, you're not going to get trapped by the worst answers. You know it's none of those three terrible answers. And there's two that are left. I think it is okay. You know, sometimes you can refer back to the passage and find the exact spot in the passage that justifies the right answer. That's great if you can do that. But sometimes you take a look back at the passage and you just still don't really get it. And yeah, you can't take forever on that one question, right? Yeah. So you do have to at some point go with your gut and move on.
0: Oh, for sure. I, I think we've talked about that before. Like you give it your honest, I guess as they said here, honest shot. Like you, you give it a fair shake. Um, I just think that by talking too much about a time trap, people will do this too often.
1: Oh yeah. Right? Well, I and, think most yeah. people's default is to do this too often because most people mm-hmm. have like fifty percent accuracy on the reading comp.
0: Yeah. And, well, that's and that's like where you just, see
1: swings from, like, oh, I got minus five wrong, and then
0: I got minus ten wrong. It's like, yeah, it's because for a lot of these, you should be more confident before moving on, but you're just moving on because you're trying to
1: finish, right? Oh yeah, way. yeah, yeah. People trying to take trying to do four passages, and then they they vary between. You know, sometimes they get sometimes they get ten right or twelve right, and sometimes they get twenty right. Mm-hmm. well, that person definitely just shouldn't be doing four passages ever. Because even on their best day, when they get 20 right, they've still missed a full passage worth of questions. So that, that student should clearly be doing three passages, not four. And I guess what I would like is when
0: someone does get into that situation, like what you're describing, where you're down to two, but you you know you have an inkling that it's this other one, when you do end up getting it right, Being willing on at least some occasions to dig in and unpack more about what makes that wrong answer wrong. What I you know don't find helpful is people who say, "I knew it." It's like, yeah, yeah, you did on some level. Like there was something that was telling you that that answer is right, but can you know that that wouldn't fly for the test writers? So what what is it that made that answer concretely wrong? And can you then? by making it explicit more quickly spot that in the future. Yeah. Sometimes you can't. Like I mean you've been doing this, I've been doing this for 12 years and there are those kinds of answers, but we've limited those situations down to a couple questions per test. And yeah. if you're doing that for 10, 15 questions
1: a section, yeah, you got a lot of work that you could, you know, clear up. I guess. Yeah, when you're reviewing, you'll almost always be able to get to just one concrete reason why the wrong answer is wrong. I mean, the wrong answer probably says something different like it just subtly tweaked the the passage in a in the in a way to make it say something that the passage didn't actually say, right? Yep. It just says something mm-hmm. different or it says something extra. Lots of times it's too strong. I mean, yeah. one game that I like to play sometimes with my class is um they'll say, Hey, Nathan, like I'm really struggling with number 20 and I will like have not read the passage or I won't have read it recently. Yeah. And I'll say, okay, show me the two answers that you narrowed it down to. And they'll show me the two answers and I'll look at the two answers and I'll tell them, well, that answer looks awful hard to prove. Yeah. This answer looks softer and easier to prove. So if I had no other information, I would go with this answer and they're like, you're right. (laughs) it's like yeah i know because these questions are basically all must be true questions you know or supported questions so that's half of it in reading comp is to just realize that they're testing whether you comprehended what you read and lots of times they're going to write wrong answers that are just just extra just a little too much Mm -hmm. and so if if and that's, I think, once you, when you do narrow it down to a 50-50, that's probably what I'm doing a lot, is I'm going, well, it's got to be this one or this one, but I'm noticing that this one is a little strong. Yeah. Let me go with this other softer one, and that's the answer like 90% of the time. Yeah. Are we... Sh- phase two.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Oh, great. Okay, so here's the phase memory two. Method. Reading, comprehension. <laughs> Reading, comprehension, mastery. The second phase of the memory method is exactly the same as the first, with one exception. You only spend 30 seconds on step two, which is check your memory, instead of 1.5 minutes. (laughs) We're spending 0.5 minutes. Do this six to eight times. The first phase teaches you how to retain information. The second phase teaches you to quickly recall it and apply it. It seems like too much. Conclusion. Practice, practice, practice. Getting good at LSAT reading comprehension is a habit. These drills lay the foundation for proper technique, but you'll have to revisit them from time to time to perfect your method. If you feel your retention flagging, focus on improving it. A good command of the passage and its structure is key to success on reading comprehension. Well, I agree with that last sentence. Uh, I would say that there...
1: I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think I would recommend this to anyone. So I would say turd. Yeah. I would not recommend this to anyone. I don't, It it's like this to me, this strikes me as, and, and we have an email later, Ben, that maybe we should just go ahead and skip. It's the, the very next email. Mm. Let me just read it right now. The very next sure. email says, hola thinking LSAT podcast peeps. I suck at reading comp and I have no idea why I have a 70% accuracy on LR stats, courtesy of the demon. But my RC accuracy is 58%. I need help. I know RC is mainly must be true questions. And I know how to do those in LR. But when it comes to RC, I just freeze up or something. I usually get the first question right. But then it's a bit hit and miss. Any advice, Michael. So it's just, you know, we got a listener who's asking specifically for reading comp advice. I get lots of people asking me for reading comp advice. I just don't have that much to say about reading comp. So my hypothesis on this pearls versus turds candidate is that they needed to make a lesson about reading comp. (laughs) They're trying to come up with something to say about reading comp. And they said this, this boils down to do a lot of reading comp and practice it. Like read the passage carefully and then answer the questions correctly. You know, read the passage, understand what it says. Then the questions will get easier. (laughs) That's just I would never the 3.5 minutes and the 1.5 minutes and the 3.5 minutes to me is clearly a turd though. It's just it's like one of those things where it's like, well, this is an easy gimmicky thing to teach someone where someone will feel like they learned something because it's the three point wait, what is that? people are like I can imagine someone like taking notes, you know, 3.5, yeah. 1.5 you say. Then 3.5. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, phase two, shorten the second step to 30 seconds okay got it you know it's like hmm. it, it, it'd be real easy for you to like take notes and like implement this and but it it's just i don't I, whatever listeners can write in and if they've done this and if it actually worked for them you know let us know but i you're not going to do this on the actual test yeah so i don't I, yeah i'm i'm happy to make it a a turd
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is doing these sections like you're saying and then digging in and trying to understand why you got questions wrong. Because when questions, when you get them wrong, they say, they're telling you, hey, you didn't comprehend something. You either didn't comprehend the passage or you did, but you didn't understand what the answer choice was saying. So you didn't comprehend that. Or maybe you didn't comprehend the question. Sometimes people get them wrong because they're answering the wrong question. But what it is is it's a it's a revelation it's like hey you didn't understand something here do you understand how the dots connect now and ideally like you've said before Nathan all the correct answers are in the passage the passage is a compilation of the correct answers so you should be able to find lines it may just be one it may be two it may be three but you can go back and say, "Oh, okay, this line right here, this line right here, and this line right here is support." Answer choice D. That's why D is correct. Yeah, I think and
1: if if you can't do that, then you're missing something. Yeah, I, I think my best tip for reading comp is to get a study partner because, it, like, in in classes these days, in class, I mean, when it's a brand new class, I'll like read a reading comprehension passage to them and I'll answer all the questions, like, just to sort of demonstrate my method. Hmm. But beyond that, like day two of class, I just divide them up into pairs or, or small groups and let them go through and review the pass review, the the questions themselves because yeah. they, and, and you know what, they never like every once in a while, a group will get stuck and they'll flag me down or they'll flag down Matt or Jenny, my TAs and we'll go, you know, help them find it. Yeah. but. Most of the groups, most of the time, work their way through and just achieve total satisfaction because somebody in the group was like, "Oh no, it's this answer because of look, look what it says right here in the passage." Yeah, that's why that's the answer. So my advice for Michael is that you know, f- dude, fifty-eight percent on reading comp sucks. You, 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 obviously, you're correct in identifying that as a big problem. And you got to get your accuracy up on reading comp. Slow yeah. down. Don't try to read all four passages. If you're reading four, you need to be reading three. If you're reading three, you need to be reading two. Because 58% is garbage. Well, I'm assuming that's 58% from drilling. If it's 58% from timed sections, then I don't really know. But my my hypothesis, I mean, I've never seen anybody, Ben, who like does two passages and gets it perfect and then runs out of time. This yeah. <laughs> is yeah. like not really a thing that happens. I don't think that's why Michael's at 58 percent. I think Michael's at fifty, as he says, he gets the first question right, and then it's hit and miss from there. Yeah. Well, that means you're just not taking it seriously enough. You're not being, you're not acting like a lawyer. The I would passage, try to visualize
0: more of what you're reading, yeah, like the think,
1: actual details. Yeah, I think it's you got to read it more. You got to read it more carefully. You're you're probably racing the clock. You're skimming the passage. I got to get to these questions. Got to hurry up and answer these questions. And then you get to the questions and you have no idea because you just didn't read the passage well enough. So, well, the, the reason
0: I say the visualization is that um, he's getting the first one right. So he's, he's capturing the main point. But if he's struggling with the others, which may be more detail oriented, maybe he's just not taking the time to digest, like, oh, oh, I can see what that sentence is saying. They're, they're taking this little. I a bobber and putting it over here with this group of you know turtles or whatever um they're just kind of brush sometimes people just brush over these details maybe they capture the main point they step back they some people are good at structure, some people are good at details you you need to get good
1: at both so it
0: sounds like that's what he's struggling with
1: I think sometimes people pick speculative answers too. like I think they don't realize how how simple the reading comp questions really are I mean there's going to be, you know, seven questions in the passage or six to eight questions in the passage. Like half of them, the correct answer is basically the main point. So they'll seem like they're asking you for some subtle detailed nuance of the argument. But what they're really asking you is, did you get the main point? Mm -hmm. So stay focused on that main point, get a study partner take it seriously while you're doing it. And then when you're reviewing it, just make sure you get to that point where you realize, Oh yeah, the passage said that that's why this is the answer. This wrong answer that I chose is specifically wrong because it's different or extra or whatever. Like it just says something that the passage didn't say, But, but take it more seriously, review it more carefully That's kind of my best advice for reading comp. I just don't. People are always looking for tips and tricks and gimmicks and stuff, but I just don't. If I knew them, I'd be happy to share them. Yeah. I just don't think that they exist. Cool. I don't know. Is that. Hope that's not unsatisfying for Michael. I already updated the scoreboard on the pearls versus turds. That's a turd. We got seven pearls, 27 turds and 13 ties.
0: Wow. You can okay. e-
1: email help at thinkinglsat.com if you have any uh, candidates for Pearls versus Turds segment on the show uh, whether it's a reading comprehension tip or anything else help at thinkinglsat.com so submit those. Cool.
0: The next one this says, hi Nathan first things first, I am extremely appreciative of the demon and your teaching style. My LSAT learning was stalling and then I found you and Ben many thanks. I have a quick question about the time between tests. I'm currently signed up for the February 22nd LSAT, and I'm looking to take it again per your recommendation. But sadly, the April date does not work for me. What are your thoughts on me signing up for the March LSAT seating? Is it too close to the February LSAT date? Thanks again.
1: Yeah, I wanted this. This wasn't a question for the show. Um, We can keep it anonymous. I wanted to throw it on the agenda because it's a question that I get a lot. And I want to make sure everybody's clear on this. Ben and I both recommend that you take consecutive LSATs. If you're signed up for February and you're ready for February, then there's no reason why if you're going to have a retake, there's no reason why you don't retake it right away. Yeah. Assuming that you were ready to take it in the first place. Yeah. (laughs) That's the step that people skip. Is that they just register for the February test when they're like miles away from being ready, then they don't get ready, then they go take the February test anyway.
0: Yeah, here's a thought experiment. If you're ready to take the February LSAT, well, you sign up, and you could sign up for an LSAT a week later, you would just sign up for both. So you'd have
1: two chances to get your best score. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, and that's the way people should be thinking about it is, you know, you're, you've been keeping track of your practice test results, right? You've seen that your practice test results bounce around within a range. Mm-hmm. You know that through really no... It doesn't even have to be any cause at all, right? It could just be pure randomness. Your score bounces around. Well, you want something on the higher end of that range, not the lower end of that range, to be your official score. Schools only care about your highest score, so there's a good reason to take it multiple times. And so if you're going to be ready for that first attempt, then yeah, you should just stack them up. Yeah. Especially at this time of year, Ben, because I'm assuming that this person wants to go to law school starting in 2021. And if, if you haven't taken any official tests yet, this person is going to cross the, the they're going to cross the May 31st threshold, right? You're allowed to take it three times in one year and five times in two years. Yeah, and that one year is not the calendar year. It's June 1st to May 31st? Yep, it's the 1st of June barrier. So this person, if they took it in February, they could definitely take it in March. They say the April date does not work for them. Okay, but you could take it in February, take it in March, and then you get the reset on June 1st. We don't have the dates still, Ben. We don't have the dates. (laughs) For the summer tests, <laughs> but last year they were June, July. Was there August? There was not August. June, July, June, September, July, September, October, November. Right. So to apply early in the next cycle, this person could take it in February and March. I would have, you know, they should take it in April if they were available, but they're not available to take it in April. That's fine. So they could take it in February, March, March, and then June, if necessary, and July, if necessary, and September, if necessary. Yeah. Right? So that would be five bites at the apple. But if they don't take the bite in March, they're not going to get that fifth bite. Yeah. At least not in order, you know, not to apply in September. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, if you're ready for, for one, you should be ready for the next one. I, I just, people are always like, well, that's not enough time to get ready for my retake. Yeah. And I'm like, well, if you're ready for the original take, then you should be also ready for the retake. I don't know, people just don't understand that there's randomness in the world. (laughs) They don't understand the point of retaking. Maybe they shouldn't be taking it in the first place. Exactly, that's what I always say. It's like, well, yeah, if you weren't ready for the first one, then yeah, you might need time for your retake. But if that's the case, you shouldn't take the first one. Your retake schedule should be your first one. (laughs) Yeah, like, and your practice tests aren't going to lie. So, show up for the proctored practice tests from your classes. I can't stress this enough. We offer proctored practice tests, and like people don't come to them yeah. and then wonder why they shit the bed on the official test. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Scratching my head. I wonder why. Hmm. So, go to your proctored practice tests. By the way, that includes in the demon. We're offering, we offer practice tests in the demon all the time virtual proctored practice tests. Show up yep. to those things. Take them seriously. Yeah. If your scores are good, if you're happy with your scores on those proctored practice tests, then it's time to take the official test. Yep. If you're not happy with your scores on your proctored practice tests, or if you haven't done any proctored practice tests, well, then maybe you're not ready for that first attempt. But my but my mom wants me to take it. <laughs> God damn it! I know I <laughs> I just never stop yelling at people. I got a call the other day from some poor listener. Um, this guy he was twenty eight he was super freaking out about his whole future. I could tell that he was like real angsty about you know well i 'm not doing anything with my life. I feel like everybody 's just passing me by and i 'm not really you know he, and he was trying to apply late in the cycle. He was trying to give me mm. get me to give him permission to apply late in the cycle because if he's because he 's twenty eight <laughs> I was like yeah i 'm um, just like no dude you're I know your mom and dad and your friends and everything are giving you pressure to just take it. No, just take it now. Just go. Just apply. Just see what happens. And it's like, listen, are they paying for it? If they're going to pay for it, if they're going to support you, you're going to pay your tuition and your rent, then maybe they have some say in this. But if they're not paying for it, they mean well, but they don't know what they're talking about. And so (laughs) you just need to Take more time. Make sure you do all those practice tests. Get yourself fully prepared for your first attempt. Then take the LSAT. Amen. Next one. I guess it's me. Personal
0: statement. Oh yeah, go for it. These
1: are questions about the personal statement. Thanks for your informative podcast. I've been noticing many common themes regarding your personal statement advice. And I have a few clarifying questions. First, you talk about the importance of the opening sentence in the personal statement as well as... Warn to not become too cinematic throughout your essay. How do you reckon these two qualities when drafting your statement and catch the attention of the reader? Okay, well, wait. I don't see these things as
0: conflicting at all. Uh, The first sentence is very important and it should not be cinematic. The one I'm thinking of right now is the one, remember the one we were working on about the uh, the IP guy who was like a, a vacuum designer or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And his first sentence was, I design vacuums for some company. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's not cinematic, but it's about him and it says what he does and right away you, you can visualize something about him. You're like, oh,
1: he... Creates vacuums. He's an engineer of sorts. Yeah. And that one specifically is like, you know, that's not a great selling point for like law school. Right. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. that was a very short sentence. And it drew the reader in because you read that one and you go, huh wonderful. That's wow. I've never, first of all, no one has ever said that in a law school personal statement. (laughs) That's a good sign. If no one has ever written that sentence before in a law school personal statement, that's a great sign. Start with that. So this is the, you know, it's a novel first sentence. It's short, Mm -hmm. easy to read, Mm -hmm. factual. It's about him. It's an features him doing adult shit. Yep. That's a great start right there. And it's not cinematic at all, but it's like, Oh, I want to know more about why this guy's applying to law school. And he he immediately went right into like the types of problems that he solves at work, right? Examples. Yeah, which are all IP related, and yeah. then it
0: became very obvious why he's pursuing a law degree. The um the by cinema we mean things like you know the vacuum piece sat motionless on the yeah, table, or just as I contemplated, it's yeah, you know,
1: <laughs> just it was a dark and stormy night. I mean, you know, that's a classic cinematic opening right that's what's that snoopy's starting when snoopy's writing he always writes it was a dark and stormy night as the first sentence that's Mm -hmm. terrible it's not about you it's passive it's like you're as if the reader is like oh wow i can't wait to know more about this ominous (laughs) ominous mood you're setting you know (laughs) like that's not what we want yeah we want we want basically facts about you. Listen, the whole statement's only two pages long. They want to know about you. They're there, they, you don't need to like really hook them. <laughs> you need to just give them facts about you. Well,
0: you hook people with facts, really. Yeah. That, that's interesting. You're moving the ball forward. It's like, oh, they learned something. They learned something and they're learning about you. So, uh, can you think of another example? Well, yeah,
1: the the one that we're using now as the sample document for, Mm. I don't want to say his name, but the sample document that we're using for our clients now, the one that basically says there was a backlog of cases at at my firm and I was hired to win them. Yeah, but this first sentence was still I-oriented, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. I feel like it was. I can well,
1: remember. Yeah, it was just basically like I came oh, in Oh, I was hired to so Yeah, I came in to to solve this problem. Yeah. It's like, "Oh, okay, great. Let me hear you how you, let me hear how you solved the problem." Yeah. That's awesome. I'm going to read more of this. Um my second question has <clears throat> has to do with the overall narrative of the personal statement. You have emphasized the idea that the essays should be focusing on your current work rather than any experience you had in college, especially as an older applicant. Are there exceptions to this when forming a narrative for example if the applicant works in a certain legal area now and the argument for why they chose that path becomes stronger when describing a formative experience they had in college should they include it my gut says no to that what do you think ben
0: yeah i would say no as well i think a lot of times people have these formative experiences so to speak um i'm putting that in air quotes by the way um What happens is, you know, someone's taking a class or someone sees an accident or I don't know, some professor says something to that person and to them it's a big deal. It's like an aha moment and they realize, oh, I should pursue law school or maybe, you know, the public domain is where I should set my sights. And for them it's huge. But what actually happened in that moment is not impressive really to others. It's sort of like, oh yeah, I've always known that (laughs) if you want to do that kind of thing, you should go into law or whatever. And so it's much more persuasive to see what you've done about that. The other reason for that is that so many people have these epiphanies, but then don't act on them. So if you have an epiphany and you realize you want to go into public interest law or you want to become a public defender or you want to become a big corporate lawyer or whatever it is, okay, what did you do in response to that epiphany? What actions did you take? And that really sells you, right? That's something that's convincing because anyone can have these little ahas. In fact, you had to have some sort of aha if you're applying to law school, that's why you're applying.
1: Yeah, I I would let the the demonstrated track record of working in the field we we know that there was something that caused you to send in that application in the first place. I don't really care about that. I care what you've done about it. Yeah. Like this person it's Megan. Thank you, Megan. She says if the argument for why they chose that path becomes stronger when describing a formative experience, you don't have to justify your choice. Like you work in a law firm yeah, or you work in a certain legal area. They don't, they don't need you to justify why you made that decision. Yeah. I'm really committed to law. (laughs) How far? Like, no, you're, the fact that you work there speaks for itself yeah it's it's like when people put that they got interviewed, you know yeah <laughs> people always want to put they applied yeah, they got and interviewed and got hired My
0: boss recommended I apply for the position and then I did <laughs> and then I got it it's like <laughs> yeah. how about you just got it
1: how about you're working how there? about <laughs> you how about you tell me what you do there yeah that's what I really want to know. So yeah, Megan, you only have two pages. And if you're a little bit older, especially I, I would much prefer that you just don't even mention college at all. Let me picture you as an adult because you're competing lots of times against lots of kids and the kids tend to look all the same. It's real hard to differentiate when, don't you think Ben, when, when we're doing our personal statement service and we've got like a, a senior in college, yeah. It's just it's just tougher it's to find. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tougher to find a story that like really makes you stand out when you're still in college. But when you've been working for even a few years, I mean, boy, just tell me about your job. Yeah, uh, more recent the better. Thanks. Uh, anything else for Megan?
0: No. Looks like you took time to write this email. So thank you for polishing it up. Yeah, thanks, Megan. Okay, law school for free? Oh yeah, this is kind of a PSA. So someone wrote me and said, hey Ben, I'm pleased to report that I got a 172 on my July test. So my progression was 148 cold back in July of, wow, a year and a half ago. Then took it officially in January and got a 163, then took it officially in March and got a 164, and then took it in July and got a 172 By the way, I could see a lot of people giving up after that 164. You get a 163 officially, you get a 164 officially, and you say, oh, this must be
1: what I can do. Well, cold 148, yeah, to 163, you know, a 15-point improvement is pretty sweet. I can see a lot of people just declaring victory. Yeah, But she kept going. She got a 172 in July.
0: And then it says, I'll... Oh, okay. So she said, I'll be applying as, as soon as I get my last letter of recommendation back and I'm hoping to avoid paying for law school. Thanks for all.
1: This was from yeah, August. Yeah, this was from
0: August. Thanks for always insisting that people retake when they haven't met their potential. And thanks for the demon. Update. I'm psyched. I got a full ride to UGA. Uh, I don't know where that is. It's you? Sounds like Georgia. Georgia. With a salaried research assistantship. My second and third years, not paying for law school, but getting paid to go to law school. Thanks for all you do. Please keep it up. So anyways, um, just wanted to let people know you can not only get a full ride, you can also get a job at some of these schools, apparently with the right
1: scores. So all this effort. I'm wondering if she's going to want that research assistantship. I always have to shit on everything. It's like that. That that does. It kind of sounds good, but then it also sounds like she might be end up in her second and third years being like, "Fuck! Why do I have to do this?" Yeah, research assistant. Maybe so. Hopefully, the full ride's not dependent on that. It's interesting. Hopefully, that's separate. This is
0: it's salaried, so it doesn't. Does it mean it's not hourly? Wow. Like,
1: yeah, it sounds like it's not just a ten k stipend. It sounds like it's a no. We're going to give you this like actual job. Wow. Might as well, because second and third years of law school is a total waste of time anyway. Yeah. But um yeah, awesome. I mean, yet another life changing story. Yeah. Uh that's a dramatic improvement. Twenty four points is crazy. That is crazy. Um, it happens. Um and when it happens, yeah. Changes your life. I will say this. Yeah, once I, you get to a yeah. 163,
0: 164, then the idea that you can get to a 172 is not as crazy. Yeah, Obviously, yeah, yeah. going from 148 to 172 is whew, that's a lot. But um that's the thing, is once you get to a certain score, it's like you've put that peg in the mountainside. There's no reason to yeah. not just
1: reassess and say, Okay, let's
0: <laughs> let's do I want to keep going and try to go up from here.
1: It's another point in favor, too, of uh, 148 is, is a fine diagnostic. Yeah. People think it's a disaster. People are like, oh, I'm a mess. I'm never going to be successful. I should just quit right now. Yeah, But 148 cold is, uh, yeah, like here's an example of somebody who goes all the way up into the 99th percentile from 148. Did I ever tell
0: you about the person who got a 122 in my class? That's hard to do. That's hard to do. And they came to me after the, you know, the diagnostic. That's when they got their 122 and I was like they said they said this is this is bad. And I said I was like, "Hmm. Yeah, that's not good." <laughs> <I didn't know. laughs> uh, but anyways, I I said, "Well, okay, it's just one test. Like maybe you're not understanding exactly I, I don't know, like, w- what they're asking for. Let's take another one before we jump to any conclusions. And within two tests, they had gotten into the mid-140s, and then they worked their way up from there into the 150s. But it was a surprise to me, because at that point, there was a big part of me that kind of just said, okay, this is this is over. But I, I just, I don't know, I held back a little bit, and they came through within two tests. And so that was encouraging. But anyways... I'm not saying that's even likely just sometimes you can't put that much weight on a single score right not on a
1: single score yeah but if you're if you're stuck in the 120s for more than a couple of weeks you probably should give up i mean yeah. like that student you're giving that story as like this great success story but they only worked their way up into the 150s uh People probably shouldn't go to law school with a score in the 150s. They probably so, shouldn't. So, you know, but <laughs> if you, your best case you could, is a you score know? that you shouldn't go to law school with, yeah. then, I mean, well, whatever. It's just if that person can go for free, then great. But if they work their way up to a 150s and then they pay full price for law school, the odds are that that's going to be a miserable outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, go back and listen to episode uh, two twenty. Seven <laughs> with Professor Barton. Yeah, um, he agrees. You know, law school is a scam for the people who are barely squeaking into law schools. So you just don't want to be that person. One thing I'll say about people who score one twenty: if you score one twenty-two, you're you're actually scoring less than you would score if you literally randomly guessed on every single question on the test. Yeah. people don't understand that. Yeah, you're repelling the correct answers. Like the only way you can score one twenty-two is to not fill out the bubbles. Yeah. And so for someone like that it's like hey you need to spend all 35 minutes on the first 5 questions get those 5 right <laughs> get those 5 right randomly guess on the rest of the test and you'll already be in the 130s yeah and so you know that that's a dramatic improvement just from changing your your strategy completely it's mostly that's mostly people who just don't fill out the bubbles but um you know Focus on accuracy on the first five or the first 10. You should be able to get yourself into the one forties pretty quickly. Yeah. From the one forties, we can work with you, but from the one twenties and one thirties, it's like, Hey, you need to slow down. You need to focus on accuracy. You need to bubble in the bubbles <laughs> on the ones you don't have time for. You need to guess because <laughs> those are free points. Yeah. Cause that's a lot of guesses and you'll get some of them right. And that's good. Um, anyway, I wanted to, add on to uh this email from from your student whoever this was congratulations ben's student who's going to go to uga and get paid for it got another update from matt uh matt d yeah here in la yeah he's got he's got six full ride offers in hand or five or six now full ride offers in hand wow he started with a uh So, Matt, he made a 19 point improvement. He went from 152. He took it five times. (laughs) Yeah. He went from 152 to 171. And now he has, yeah, five full ride offers on the table. He's like, yeah, I've gotten in everywhere I applied, and everywhere I applied has offered me a full ride. Hmm. (laughs) I'm like, yeah. Maybe you needed to. Maybe Reply he needed higher. to stretch. A <laughs> little, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure he hasn't heard back yet from. The, he said all the ones he's heard from. He's oh, got okay. full Red. Wow. Full so, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and now it's just going to be like you know looking for stipends and finding the best of those deals. So huh. That's another story like that where it was retake, 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 and then finally get that score that you're really capable of. Well, we also
0: helped him with his personal statement, which I think convinced us to hire him, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, although, you know what? That's right. That's right. He we we did we helped him with his personal statement as a courtesy, but his personal statement was also he, well, there was a lot to work with there.
0: There was a lot to work with. We just had to make it so it stuck out, you know. That's the bummer is when you bury such great
1: stuff. Yeah. Which everybody does. I mean, nobody's that great at writing on the first attempt, you know. Mhm. But yeah, he had, and boy, his was like, I think most people would think that his statement was like mundane.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: But to me it was like so powerful because it was just like, yeah, I solve fucking problems. Yep. (laughs) And it just made him look like a professional person that would be an asset to any school or whatever. Yeah. I mean, That's when we took him on full time (laughs) because we read that statement. We were like, damn, we need this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Next one. Yeah. This is, uh... oh, wait. Oh, financial aid. Okay. Financial aid. Go
0: for it. Hey, Ben and Nathan. I hope the holiday season is treating you well. I just got my November LSAT score and I can't thank you both enough for all your help. In the spirit of not paying for law school, I'm wondering if you guys had any tips about how to apply for financial aid. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. We're usually talking about grants. I've heard you have a wait you have to wait until you're admitted, but I've also read that it's advantageous to apply as soon as possible before funds run out. I appreciate I'd appreciate any help you can provide and thank you so much for all you do, Best Anonymous. Uh, wait, financial aid.
1: I, I, I guess yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. No. To be clear, when we say don't pay for law school, we are talking about tuition grants and you don't have to apply separately in most cases. So some schools do have other like special scholarship programs. I know Pepperdine has one of those Mm. where you have to apply and tell them how you're going to help them to fulfill their Christian mission and a bunch of bullshit like that. Oh, Um, interesting. Okay. Yeah. But, um, the, 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 vast majority of the money you're going to get is going to be offered to you when you apply for admission. So you apply and they admit you and they offer you a scholarship or you apply and they admit you and they say, um, scholarship information is going to come in the next week or two. Yeah. And if they don't offer you a scholarship, but you can ask. Yeah. You You don't look at their 509 and see if they offer a lot of scholarships and then you could email them and say, Hey, you know, how do I get one of these? Yeah. But yeah, it's not a separate application. Law schools are going to bullshit you, by the way, with all sorts of stuff like, well, there's all kinds of, we don't, we can't offer you a grant this year, but there are all sorts of scholarships for continuing students that you can, you'll have the opportunity to apply for blah, blah, blah. And those in most cases are these cheesy $5,000, you know, essay competitions or whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, you've already married yourself to the school by then so it's going to oh, be yeah. very tough to <laughs> when you pay that first semester tuition they've got their hooks in you and they know it mm-hmm. they they're in the driver's seat at that point so this is yeah this is all a negotiation that happens before you even ideally before you even pay them the first deposit yep so when they say hey it's time for the first deposit you should say yeah i i'm not i don't I don't let's talk about the scholarship offer. Yeah. Um, and it, it doesn't, it shouldn't, in most cases, it shouldn't be a separate application. If the school says, Oh yeah, we do have these, you know, this special program that you have to apply for. Well, yeah, then apply like hurry up and get it in (laughs) right now. Sure. Um, but otherwise it should just be part of the normal admissions deal. I mean, the the truth with all these quote scholarships is that they are just discounts off of your tuition. They're giving everybody discounts. They're giving three quarters of the class a discount off of their tuition. Yeah, and um, you should just uh, expect that as part of the admissions because that's just that's just the game. Yep. Okay. Um, ready for this?
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm excited. We can see yeah. that Fagman has already provided a glorious shot of himself.
1: This is not his, his best comedy work. I'll warn readers right now that normally these emails are funnier, um, on intentional comedy, but I do think still it's worth it to just get the update and uh, we can talk about some of these issues. Our conversation with professor Barton last week is, is really informing the way I think about a lot of this stuff. So, um, and, and his book, which I read, um, anyway, yeah, you got the, you got always got the glamor shot of Fegman in all of these emails that he sends out. We need to use this as the, uh, can we use this image? I don't know. <laughs> I <laughs> would like, who knows? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I mean, he'd probably love it. Cause he's a, Hey, he's a good looking dude. He just likes to get his face out there. Yeah. Um, okay. Here it is. Dear UC Hastings community. Oh, by the way, I should just tell everybody for sure that this is from David L. Fagman, chancellor and dean. John F. DeGuardi, Distinguished Professor of Law, University of California, Hastings College of the Law. All right, ready? Yep. Dear UC Hastings community, New Year's is a time of reflection and resolution. Since becoming Chancellor and Dean, I have taken the opportunity of each new year to reflect on the successes of the past year and to set forth my resolutions for the year ahead, comma, often focusing on student outcomes such as bar passage and employment or on alumni giving. On all these counts, 2019 was a very good year. Dude,
0: sorry, can we just stop for a half second? First sentence says, New Year's is a time of reflection and resolution, which is no shit. Um, <laughs> so I'm wondering, like, people are busy. He's sending this out to... What tens of thousands of people? How many people read this? Like, if I got this and I'm about to work on some case, I happen to be a practicing attorney as opposed to something else, I'd say New Year's time. New Year's is a time of reflection and resolution. I'd be like, oh, okay, next.
1: No, I have one friend who I'm still in touch with from Hastings. Yeah, who is an actual lawyer, and. Uh, Nikki Black, and when I talk to Nikki, I mean Nikki never even gets these emails. Like she probably filtered these emails out a long ass time ago. Yeah, she has she has no time for this nonsense. Yeah, he's hey, he's he's like ivory tower academia, you know. He's making what do you think he's What do you think he's probably making? Speculate Mm, on this dude's salary: two hundred to three hundred thousand. I oh, oh, I'll take the over in a heartbeat. There's 400 students at Hastings. Oh, so maybe 500, half a million. I, I'm guessing he's making half a million dollars a year. Yeah, he's sitting in. You know, I'm sure he's got the plush office and the best view that Hastings has to offer. And he's just sitting there, you know, just rhapsodizing <laughs> about the glory of <laughs> this institution.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. Here we go. Here's the updates. Our California bar pass rate for first-time takers in July 2019 was 80% tied for seventh in the state. Hmm. That made me laugh. Ben, can you name six better law schools in California?
0: <laughs> it's going to take some work. But yeah, we got Stanford, UCLA, Berkeley, all the good ones.
1: That's three. Yeah. Um U uh, C San Diego. Nope, there's no U C San Diego law school. What? Oh, okay. You skip. You got Harvard. What and about Santa sorry, Clara? You got. You no. You got Stanford <laughs> and Berkeley. Well, Santa Clara is a law school. <laughs> yes, but it's not better than Hastings. Okay. You got Stanford and Berkeley and UCLA. Okay. Um, want me to help you? There's another big one in in L A. Private school in L A. Irvine. Irvine is in Orange County, but Orange County, but Irvine is better than Hastings. Yes. So now you are at four. Okay. You are missing one that's in a top twenty school. What? Yeah, UCLA and USC. Yeah, USC, University of Southern California. Oh, right. Downtown, downtown LA. There is five. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Here is the point of that exercise. Yep. Ben, you live in D.C. Lots of people think they want to work in D.C. Ben, you've been in this business for forever. You can't even name the schools (laughs) that are better than Hastings. (laughs) So Fagman's like, you know, trying to tide for seventh in California as if that's like a great thing. Yeah. But the point is, if you want to go work in D.C., this brand of Hastings is not carrying across the country. Yeah. Um, the other school that you were missing that's better is uh, Davis. Oh yeah, okay. But point is, tied for seventh in the state is not like really, really tied for seventh in the state. It would it would have
0: been better to leave it at eighty percent because eighty percent doesn't sound bad given some right. bar passage rates out there.
1: Right. Okay, I'll continue. And and yeah, I mean, and that's good for California. I mean, what that really indicates is there was an uptick in the California bar passage rate, or the bar got <laughs> for here? July of 2019. <laughs> well, yeah, for whatever reason, the 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 bar passage was higher. I mean, it it probably reflects the belt tightening that happened in the law schools. Right, mm. like four years ago, they realized, oh shit, we need to like restrict. We need to <laughs> try to ki- make. We need to basically make our class sizes smaller. Yeah. And so they did that. And then now surprise, surprise, like the bar passage rate goes up anyway. Our employment numbers for the class of 2018 improved 11.2% over the previous year. That's a meaningless stat because we don't know what the, (laughs) we don't even know what he's talking about there. Our employment numbers improved (laughs) 11.2%. Which numbers are those? Um, and we had our best fundraising year ever, with gifts and grants exceeding ten million dollars. Okay, I really don't know who's stupid enough to give money to the school. <laughs> you got to have so much money, like you, you just have so much money that you're like, yeah, yeah, fine. Here's hundred grand. Yeah, I mean that's like what we were talking about before. It's like donating to your automaker. Yeah, 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 totally. Just here, give me, give you a little extra. You're doing so good. Actually, you're not doing that good. So here, let me help you out. (laughs) Yeah. All right. In 2019, we also made major progress. Here we go. Toward realizing our vision of creating an academic village on our campus with near completion of our first new academic building in more than 35 years, architectural plans for a new 14-story mixed-use building, and related arrangements for bricks and mortar projects, as well as key partnerships. (sighs) One of the things that... Professor Barton pointed out in his book Hmm. is that schools spend a shit ton of money on facilities. Yeah. Comparing the YMCA night school model where you would literally be sitting in a gym to what's going on at these law schools today. Why the fuck Ben, are they building a 14 story building in the middle of San Francisco? It's,
0: um, I, you know, it makes me feel like those Pharaohs, of yes. ancient times,
1: like they yes. like have to show something for their tenure. Yes, it's a monument to himself. Wow. Because this doesn't help. I mean, it's like, okay, I suppose applicants or, or like prospective students might come and get wowed by this building. Well, they definitely will take a lot of pictures of it and say, imagine yourself studying. It'll be here. All the glossy brochures. But it has nothing to do with bar passage rate. It has nothing to do with job outcomes. And you're the one that's going to be paying for all this bullshit. Yeah. So this is just full on taking full advantage of the student loan scam. Yeah. It's, you know, all these poor people who are, you know, half of them are going to practice law someday and half of them aren't. And they're just coming right into the school, just borrowing all this money to finance this stupid academic village that David Fagman wants to build in the middle of San Francisco. Wow. Some of the most expensive real estate, by the way, in the country.
0: I think San Francisco is number two or three behind New York. I can't remember. DC is, is yeah. number five.
1: Yeah, for the um, tied-for-seventh-best law school in the state. <laughs> in the state. So there's six better in the state. Well, maybe seven in some ways. (laughs) Although we'll we'll have to see what schools are, he's tied with, but yeah, yeah, I mean, we could argue about anyway, there is much I resolve to accomplish in 2020, working alongside our talented students, remarkable staff and outstanding faculty. Foremost. I resolved to sustain the momentum on employment and bar passage success. As a law school, no two factors are more important indicators of strength. We learned a lot about how to improve our new graduates' employment prospects over the past year, and we'll build on those lessons to boost our progress further. (laughs) No evidence uh, at all, right? It's just like pure, pure conclusions here. And while rising to a three-way tie for seventh place among California law schools in bar passage rate is an important milestone, I aim to secure a firm position for UC Hastings among the top five schools in the state year after year. Whoa,
0: wait, hold up. I assumed they had tied with one other
1: law school. There's two other law schools. It's a three-way tie for seventh. Oh you know? So my you're talking gosh. about nine total schools. Um, <laughs> At the bottom. <laughs>
0: He wants a firm
1: position, Ben, a firm position for UC Hastings among the top five schools in the state year after year. Well, listen, you're not going to catch ever, ever, you are not going to catch Stanford, Berkeley, UCLA, or USC. You're not in the same league as those schools. Yeah, You're never catching them, (laughs) but he's going to get a firm position in the top five. So that means he's he's going to be number five he'll be number five at best because he's yeah. not going to get into the top four. Yeah. And, but he's going to beat that means he's going to beat Davis and Irvine and yeah, Santa Clara, Pepperdine, Loyola. <laughs> like he's going to, he's got a, he's got a firm. He's going to secure a firm position in the top five beating all those schools. No, no, you're not. Anyway, second, I resolve to build upon and expand our curricular offerings. We will continue to build professional opportunities for our students, such as the new Corporate Council Externship, and continue to support the wide range of experiential courses from the Refugee and Human Rights Clinic to the Startup Legal Garage. Our research centers are already outstanding and world-renowned. And in 2020, we will build out and empower our newest centers of excellence in the areas of business, tax, and racial and economic justice. Wow. It's like every year they say that exact same thing. Every year there's all these new things. Yeah. And it's just like, this, this: make a big splash, spend a bunch of money on stuff. It's got to be a way then, to raise money too, right? You got to keep yeah. the fire. Yeah. And then five years later, these programs you know, fizzle out into... <laughs> Nothing. (laughs) That's why he's building a building. At least the building will be there in five years. (laughs) Jesus. Third, I resolved to increase dramatically our efforts to ensure safe and clean streets surrounding our campus. UC Hastings is located in a difficult neighborhood in a city that is challenged by the triple plague of drugs, homelessness, and mental illness. These are systemic ills and UC Hastings alone cannot solve them, but we can be part of the solution. More immediately, we can invest greater resources in improving the quality of life for those living, studying, and working on our campus. Ben, next time you're in San Francisco, you got to go visit Hastings. Have you ever been to Hastings? No. Yeah. I went there for 3 years. It is in, yeah, a difficult neighborhood to say the least. It's right in the middle of the Tenderloin district of San Francisco, which is boy, it is dirty. Hmm. I mean, it is gross. That's hmm. um, a. T- we would constantly be getting like emails from the campus security. Yeah, the campus security who like carried guns at the time when I was there, and they would be constantly emailing like, "Yeah, so and so got held up at knife point. So and so got grab another smash and grab. Like all constantly, cars were getting their windows smashed. People get their cell phones. Just someone comes up behind you and just you're talking on the phone, and they just grab your phone out of your hand and run away. Wow. Um, yeah, it is, it's a really, really tough neighborhood. Um, (laughs) I like these resolutions with no evidence. (laughs) Like what's, what are you going to do about it? You're going to invest
0: greater resources. What does that mean? Money from where you have money?
1: (laughs) Yeah. More, just even more campus security. One of the things I hated the most about being at Hastings was that I had to show my, uh, my ID. Yeah. I had to show ID there every time to go in and out of any building for three years straight. Mm. Every single time you go in and out of any building because it's in such a brutal neighborhood. Yeah. Fourth, I resolved to continue brisk development of the UC Hastings academic village with completion of our new academic building at three, three, three golden gate Avenue early this year, followed in April by the demolition of Snodgrass hall, Snodgrass Hall at 198 McAllister Street and initial construction of a 14-story academic housing mixed-use building on that site. Through the Academic Village Initiative, we will expand our partnerships with other University of California institutions, particularly UCSF, as well as the Bay Area's business and tech sectors. (laughs) So they're building this new building and then they're going to actually knock down 198 McAllister Street, which is, I grant, it is a monstrosity. Okay, it's super ugly. It's you're inside it. It's like you're being you're you feel like you're inside a. It's just one of those awful like courthouse, um, you know the buildings that they built in the fifties, Ben, that mm. are just like so utilitarian and not beautiful at all. Small windows, no windows. <laughs> I mean, no windows. But it does have giant perfectly usable classrooms. I mean, like it has, it has a probably like six different lecture halls with a hundred seats in them. Hmm. And there, there's no reason not to use them. There's no, I mean, other than it being ugly, there's no reason that they aren't totally usable. Yeah. But like these people, they have too much money. He, it's like, well, I have to spend the money somewhere. Yeah. I can't keep raising funds if I don't spend it. Making swift progress across the board requires a confluence of assets, including a bold (laughs) but achievable vision, dedicated managers, and of course, financial resources. As an institution of higher education that receives much needed, but proportionally little funding from the state, we attract more philanthropic support. While the $10 million we raised in 2019 through gifts and grants is an all-time record for us, many of our sister law schools, such as those at UC Berkeley and UCLA, raise three times as much annually. Well, that's because their graduates make more money. But so the final goal I will mention as we embark on 2020 is to boost philanthropy by giving more alumni, sorry, by involving more alumni and attracting larger gifts, both for current use and to grow the endowment. Against that backdrop, I am delighted to report that we received news recently of a sizable gift, which we look forward to announcing soon and to celebrating at the ribbon cutting ceremony for our new academic building on March 26th.
0: Dude, this is like the uncle who just doesn't stop. Talking about the family's dirty laundry. I don't understand. Like, it's just rambling.
1: Yeah. I've been on the UC Hastings faculty for 32 years and have always been deeply proud to call this school my professional home. I know that many of you share this pride and that there is a growing current of enthusiasm running through our community. <laughs> Not in the class of 2011, there's not. Anyway, we are at a true crossroads in our history. And I thank all those who have worked so hard to get us here, a moment when opportunity meets resolve to bring the school to greater national prominence. (laughs) Can you feel it, Ben, in D.C.? Can you feel the rising tide of Hastings sweeping the nation? I can, yeah. I'm actually kind of getting excited myself. Are you? You know what? I know you're not an alum of Hastings, Ben. But I'm sure that they would take your donation. Hmm. I have to think you about that. Be, you should get involved. You should get on board because this is hey. Get in. Get in on the ground floor. Get, it's a, get it's a moment. While, get in while a, the cr- investment, non-investment, is hot. <laughs> You'd be making an investment in your career, Ben. Oh, that's right. It's Ben. It's almost selfish of you to give money to Hastings. <laughs> It is UC Hastings is the people who study and have studied law in its classrooms. Oh, that's me. So I am Hastings. Whoa. It, yeah. It is the students, staff, faculty, and alumni who embody the values of fairness at the core of our legal system. (laughs) Is that a joke? And who strive for excellence in the study and practice of law. John Kennedy once said, The Greeks defined happiness as the full use of your powers along the lines of excellence. By this measure, 2019 was a very happy year and 2020 looks to be happier still. (laughs) So so apparently Fagman and all of the Hastings community fully used their powers along the lines of excellence in 2019. (laughs) Whatever that means. (laughs) Finally, speaking of happiness, I hope you will join me and the broad UC Hastings community in celebrating the college's past, present, and future on Thursday, March 26th, with a ribbon cutting ceremony and dedication of the new academic building and the final beer on the beach and farewell <laughs> to 198 McAllister. So, they used to have Thursdays they would have beer on the beach at 198 McAllister. There was this big concrete slab out in front of 198 McAllister. They called it the beach. It was not the beach at all. It had nothing to do with a beach. But it did have some trees. And they would have beer. They'd have kegs of beer out there um, on Thursdays. I was just so laughing at all the one. ands. Sorry. Yeah, that sentence is long as shit. It's got one,
0: two, three, four, five ants in one sentence.
1: Yeah, Well, it's a 51 word sentence, so, you know, it's hard to do that without sprinkling in some ands in there. Um, Festivities begin on the new quad at 3 p.m., then move to the beach where we will bid a fond farewell to it and, of course, the classrooms on behalf of the generations the building has served. Ain't nobody going to bid a fond farewell to that monstrosity, first of all. (laughs) <laughs> but the other thing is, I can't believe they are just going to demo <laughs> this entire giant building. Just so, well, now they're going to have a big hole in the ground and they're going to have to build something else. So they're going to build a 14 story tower there with all of these poor kids' tuition money. Government money. Nah, they don't get that much government. Well, you mean the government? It's loan through the money. loan program. Yeah. Yeah, but the ultimately the your... kids are on the hook for this shit.
0: Yeah, well, and, I don't. I mean, taxpayers too. Ultimately, right? Like, if well, they get bailed that, out, then yeah, yeah,
1: assuming that a non-zero percentage of these people are going to default, and another non-zero percentage of these people are going to get their loans forgiven, you know, via one of these programs if the programs still exist. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's right. I mean, it's just like. I suppose, ultimately, the taxpayers. But I don't know, Ben. I think the bulk of this money is actually going to get paid back by these kids. Yeah. And and I mean, that's that's what you're paying for, basically. If you're going to Hastings, you're paying for, or shit, people who graduated with me who are still paying back your student loans, that's what you're paying for. You're paying to demolish 198 McAllister and build a 14-story building. Uh, warm regards, David. Wait, did you say Happy New Year? Did he say Happy New Year? Oh, sorry, I missed that last sentence. Happy New Year and wishing you and yours good health and good fortune in 2020. Warm regards, David. What was the point of this email? To raise money? To invite you to the event? he wanted to send out the beautiful picture of himself he wanted to uh yeah he wanted to just talk about construction mostly mm. cool i mean he 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 knows that the next bit of bad news in terms of bar passage rate and employment outcomes like that's common right <laughs> so he's taking the opportunity to talk about the uptick in bar passage rate all the way up to tied for seventh. It's a major milestone. With two other law schools, <laughs> three away, tie for seventh. It's a. He said it, he he said that it's a milestone. Ben. Wow. He said, "I want to see exactly." Wow, what he he's said. really good at his own ism. It's a Fagmanism. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> he's he's able to turn just any any shred he's a lawyer he's just any shred of evidence that could conceivably support him just that's he's gonna just yeah all over it (laughs) and even if the evidence goes against him he can spin that too
0: thank you dave or david we look forward to your next update do you have anything else to say i do not You can always join the Thinking LSAT podcast on Facebook. You can follow us at Thinking LSAT on Instagram and Twitter. You can go to strategyprep.com for my classes in D.C. or foxlsat.com for Nathan's classes in San Francisco and Los Angeles. Our joint project is lsatdemon.com where you can study for the test anywhere on your phone, take lessons, do everything you need to do, really, on your phone. You can listen to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher and our very own com. That was episode 228 of the Thinking LSAT podcast Thanks all y'all for listening Nice knowing you, don't pay for law school